We're going to be turning to Mark, Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8. We're going to continue on from the gospel according to Mark. I think if anything has been apparent uh, during our time uh, in the gospel of Mark, it has been that... um, it, it has been the sovereignty of God constantly leading us to a place where um, God is really addressing some things going on in our country or in our culture. And uh, this weekend is no different from the last couple of weekends. I feel like I'm saying it and it's become redundant uh, as if to say that everything I'm reading in the gospel is somehow addressing the culture of our day. And, uh, 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 but it's true. It's true, and as we jump into Mark chapter 8, Mark chapter 8, um, I think that we're going uh, to see it once more, and I can't help uh, but to address some things that need to be addressed uh, uh, with things that are going on in our culture. I think to just move on and act like nothing has happened uh, would do a disservice to the gospel and a disservice uh, to you. And let me start here. There. That, that the thing that maybe has caught my eye or has somehow spoken to me is that there is a darkness that has veiled this country for quite some time. No one has been preaching it, really, or preaching to it because it's not what uh, lines the seats of the church. It just doesn't. It's not going to entertain anyone. It's not going to make people comfort, comfortable. Uh, And yet, like, we all can feel that something is off in our culture. There's just something um, culturally uncomfortable these days happening. And our world is shifting. Now, I have to be honest that, uh, you know what I thought it was at first? I thought, man, I'm getting old. I thought that it was my age at first. I thought, well, hey, I'm getting older and I just see things different. Uh, But that isn't it. That's not it. What we're seeing today is a direct result of our lack of true gospel preaching. What we're seeing today is is the result of our lack of evangelistic outreach. And I don't mean pouring a bunch of money and buying things for people. I mean legitly sitting down with them and talking to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how it uh, intersects their life. What is happening uh, uh, right now is we're seeing this lack of our being set apart. People can't tell the difference between where our Christianity begins and where the world begins. We have no accountability in the church. If I say to you, hey, I don't see the fruit of your walk today, you would just leave and go find a pastor that would never ask you for where the fruit of your walk is. There's no accountability. And matter of fact, what's worse is that we have a churches full of people With no authenticity. We can't see a true gospel life in them. Oh, they're good people. Don't get me wrong. But are they God's people? And there's a big difference. There isn't something that just... This this isn't just something that happens overnight. And we're not the only ones responsible for this. There are those that were before us that, listen, they dropped their guard too. Their spiritual gaze never left the four-walled building where they held church. It's the truth. And we can't say much either, because while I've seen a lot of good and godly things in my life in the church, I've yet to see spiritual revival. 
in the church. And guys, if you're going to write a note, this would be it. Without spiritual revival in the church, there will never be revival in the world. Let me say that again. Without spiritual revival in the church, there will never be revival in the world because it can only start here where God has placed His name upon your heart. And when revival starts there, revival will catch on to the next person and the next person and the next person. This is the Mark's Gospel. This is the story of Jesus. In Mark's Gospel this morning, Jesus is going to issue a warning, a very strict warning, and He's going to contrast that warning up against His own friends, against His disciples, the ones who He's teaching and growing. And listen, church, we would be wise to listen. And I mean really listen to what he's saying. I'm going to start out with just a little bit. But I promise you, as we dive in, you'll start to see where I'm headed because I really feel the need to address where we're at culturally in the world right now. So let's begin in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. And we're just going to begin here, but it's not where we'll finish. So keep that page thumbed. Let me read. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And when he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, I will not give this generation any such thing. And so he got back into the boat, and he left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning as we read your word, and we've only just begun, Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning to speak life into us, to sow a seed that would bear your fruit, the fruit of your love, the fruit of your grace, the fruit of your forgiveness, and the fruit of your compassion. God, be in us so that when we go out into the world, and we, we, that we are able to share a piece of you. Lord, help us this morning. See and hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, guys, this entire week has been difficult. Amen. The news of a lone 19-year-old gunman entering a school and shooting uh, 17 kids, listen, it doesn't make anyone feel good or have some sort of positive outlook upon our nation or even our culture right now. But this is a time of mourning. And yet our anger right now, I believe it's getting the best of us. The saying is that hurting people hurt people. Then what's happening is explained, it's explained rather easily. <coughs> Excuse me. One lone individual so deeply hurt and so greatly angry lashes out upon his peers to the point of killing them. Their parents are all now grieved, and rightly so. By the loss of a loved one, they're just angry. Angry. No answers. They don't understand. They're looking for some sort of something to make sense. <coughs> Excuse me. They're in anger. They're looking for any possible way. Can this never happen again so that nobody ever experiences what we've experienced now? And it's normal. 
It's normal to look for ways to stop the pain. It's normal to look for ways to stop all this hurt. And in this anger and sadness over such this horrific tragedy, listen, we're starting to say things uh, without having a clear mind as to how it will affect everyone else. And so arguments ensue because we're upset, we're angry, and we're confused. In the meantime, can't you just see the devil uh, like we saw last week in the video where they're just walking behind all the chatter? Oh, the devil's not saying these things. He doesn't have to. He's just inciting it. He's pulling the strings of division. When there's ever a time to be united, it should be now. And just like that this morning, I've come to talk about the yeast of the Pharisee. The Bible says it's easy to spot them. Because they like to argue. They bring up things to debate and discuss and argue. They're always struggling with believing, just like we saw in the Scriptures. And Jesus doesn't entertain it at all. Matter of fact, the conversation you hear Jesus talking is happening within Him. never says that He spoke this out loud. It said He sighed deeply within Him and said this. And I think right now, Jesus is a pretty good example of how to behave and act. Right now, people want answers. Yet to tell them by cutting Christ out of their lives and their schools and their country that they've come to this godless society that doesn't know Jesus. Listen, this only gets people angry at us. They only are going to get more uh, angry and more mad. It's as if we're saying to the rest of our fellow countrymen that, that they basically are getting what they asked for. And then we act as if we're better. But listen, we're not. If not for the grace of God, we would be experiencing their grief and their sorrow right now. We would be wise to remember that it rains on the just and unjust alike. We must remember that lost, the lost are always going to be there. There's always going to be a godless people. But that it is our calling and our mission to reach them. <coughs> Again, we see the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, most of you know this, the yeast is used for making bread. It's not a coincidence that he uses this whole analogy as he begins to say uh, uh, all these things about the Pharisees that we're about to read about, uh, uh, but it only takes a small amount of yeast to place in the bread, right? Because here's the thing, just a little bit in, and if you put too much in the dough, it'll continue to grow till at some point it just pops. And listen, pride and arrogance has the same effect. The same effect. Right now, everyone thinks they have an answer. They think they have the answer of what it's going to take to make someone else feel good or, or, or make this stop. Or maybe we need more politics. Maybe we need more government. Maybe we don't need anything. Maybe we just need Jesus. We have all these answers right now. And everyone thinks they do. At least on Facebook, they think that. But when they don't have to look someone in the face and talk about political and sensitive issues, something grows with inside us that's different. Our pride and our opinion has overstepped our bounds. Let me say that again. Our pride and our opinion has overstepped our bounds. Our hurting hearts and trying to reconcile this entire situation has been manipulated by our brokenness. We can't even see that all of this arguing online and anywhere else about what to do or what not to do only adds flame 
to an already hurting situation. And at some point, we must yield our mouth to Christ. Don't you see that those who are hurting are wanting the same things that the Pharisees want? <clears throat> they just want to see Jesus as Lord. They want a sign from God that he's still there even after all this tragedy. They want to know that Jesus is real in this moment. They're looking for any sign at all. And if we are the individuals to which he resides in us, what are we showing our culture? That we are just like everyone else? Shall we rally to argue rights or principles or ethics right now? Or should we be a beacon of love and hope, a shoulder to cry on and to vent? You know, when I counsel with people who have experienced a tragedy, I rarely argue with them in the moment when they say things that I might completely disagree with. And you know why? Because they are not in their right mind. I, I, I don't tell them that because I understand that they're grieving. And we all grieve differently, amen? Jesus allows me from time to time to make mistakes. Boy, do I make them. To say things out of anger or grief or doubt. And guys, even unbelief, thank you. <coughs> And yet he sits quietly, Jesus sits quietly, and he listens to my little pity party, and he listens to my stupid comments, and he listens to all the ugly things I really say. My God, what I would do today to see this in others instead of what I'm seeing now. The, listen, the funny thing about Facebook and all the things that I see there is that once you... Once you took people's faces away from the conversation, all of a sudden we've become more bolder in the things that we say. And I'm not sure we would be as bold as we are if it weren't for the considerable distance between us. It's easier to say things when we can't see how we're hurting someone or who we're hurting. Social media might have some good to it, but in the hands of a human being, it might also end up being our demise. By allowing that little person that we hide on the inside to have a medium in which to talk without consequences. If there was ever a time to take up your cross and die, it's today. And listen, because that old person, that old flesh that you keep trying to kill on the cross has access to your cell phones and is trying to give you a tabloid life. The yeast of the Pharisee. The yeast of the Pharisee. It doesn't take much at all to become what you despise. What you never wanted to be. And listen, guys, what you were never created to be. Just look at the disciples. No sooner had they got back into the boat and left, they forgot to get any food. And so they begin to panic. Pick up the story with me. Mark chapter 8, verse 14. We'll read to verse 21. But the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They had only one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And as they were crossing the lake, 
Jesus warned them, watch out. Beware of the yeast and the Pharisees and of Herod. And at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. (coughs) Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or even understand yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? Twelve, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Well, seven, they said. Do you understand yet? He asked them. Right before he sets out, he warns them about the yeast of the Pharisee. Beware of them. Beware of behaving like this. Beware of acting like this. Beware of walking like this. Right? Which is more than just about arguing amongst each other. It's about a way of life. It's a persona, an identity. The disciples were what we call hangry. Right? They were hungry, angry. Anybody ever been that? By the way, that's like me. If I'm glad my wife is not in here. She would tell you that that happens occasionally in my house. It's funny what food will do to you, right? The body needs food to physically live, but Jesus teaches us there is a food that will feed us forever, and yet we still hunger. Being hungry does funny things to our psyche. We can just as easily turn on our spouses, and then we turn into an angel as soon as the first bite hits our stomach. The disciples begin to argue about whose fault it is that there's no bread. And then they forget, out of nowhere, that Jesus had just taken what little they had and fed 4,000. Isn't that what we do? Something happens to us, and it like shoves us off balance. It doesn't matter if it's small or big, but it's enough to make us temporarily forget who Jesus is. It must because we act like we don't know. And all of a sudden, we just step back into our flesh. And in that moment, our lack of doubt, our lack of disbelief, it just swallows us. And we act like we never met Jesus. We just got one loaf of bread. I don't know what we're going to do. And Jesus, you were just with me. Answer me this, right? And they, they, when I fed the 4,000, was there leftovers? Yes. When I fed the 5,000, was there leftovers? How much did we have? We didn't have enough to feed it. But yet we fed everybody and had leftovers. You got one loaf of bread and you got me. Why aren't you equating that? Beware the yeast of the Pharisee. Oh, you're looking for a sign. Did I just not give you signs? Did I just not show you wonder? Oh, but you can't see. I love how Jesus is frustrated. Can't you see? Like literally with your eyeballs, you were there. Didn't you just hear what I said? Like, didn't you, you saw what I did? Why are you acting like this? <laughs> we act sometimes like we never met him. We, we can't even remember the miracles he performed for us yesterday. Now when we hear the words of God through the prophet Isaiah or the Son of God Jesus here in this moment or even the Apostle Paul, right, when it says that you have ears but can't hear, eyes but can't see, just because you possess ears doesn't mean you hear, just because you have eyes doesn't make you have the ability to see, we see now that that's a possibility. 
that you can walk through life hearing and seeing without hearing and seeing. It's shameful, and yet it's obvious, right? We cry out, Lord, why have you left us to starve? And we completely forget the fact that every part of our life is a blessing. Jesus reminds us, don't you remember the fourth out? Don't you remember the five? Don't you remember what we started with? Don't you remember what was left? Don't you get it? Don't you see it? Don't you hear it? The yeast of the Pharisees, it's more than just a moment. It's being blind to the blatant. It's being blind to the blatant. How can you talk about a God and not know him? How? How can you serve God and never understand his character? I had somebody ask me the other day, how do you retain so much knowledge about Jesus? Where's all that coming from? I'm like, because I was a horrible individual and Jesus pulled me so far out of a deep hole, so dark and so ugly down in there. And I was such this vile creature in creation. And God, why would you even want me or walk with me? Why, why would you even do anything for me? I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. That's for sure. And God says, yeah, you're right to all those things, but I just choose you. And, and I said, because he chooses me. Surely be, just because it makes him happy. I devote my life to it. Because I have a, I remember, <laughs> I remember what I am without him and what I am with him. What I am with Jesus, I see the way that many of you will look at me. And you'll look for me to lead and you'll look for me to know things. And you'll look, I was never looked at like that. Oh, people looked at me, but never like the way that they look at me with Jesus in me. I remember. That's my identity. That's who I am. But how can we, why do I see so many people, they walk with God, but they never understand him. Oh, all these, oh, I was Christian, but I don't understand how God this, I'm, and read. It's there. God has given us the answer in the Bible. God has shown us his character and who he is. But we, too many of us have fallen to the yeast of the Pharisee. It would appear that, that God could do miracles all around you and still you forget and act as if you've seen nothing. Your eyes can fail to recognize God-sized moments to the point that you talk about God as if you've seen or heard Him while living in such a way where it would appear that He doesn't exist. Welcome to the world of the Pharisee who know the Scriptures, right? 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 And after all, I preach about a God that is able to take a little and make much, but then if I live in such a way or I act like all of a sudden that he's not there for me when things get hard or things get tough, like he doesn't exist or he's not in control, what am I really showing the world? That I'm saying one thing and living another. That's not going to be my message. <laughs> the yeast of the Pharisees is more than disbelief. It's being lost in self, lost in the flesh. If we're not daily crucifying our flesh, then we're going to live in such a way that places more thought on our comforts than on the needs of those around us. Jesus came, lived, and died so that others might receive eternal life. Though he was tired and hungry most of the time, 
He poured himself out as, a, as an offering for us. He lived for us. To pursue the life of Christ as a model in which to live is to pursue a life that is poured out for others. For others more than ourselves. And when we're constantly consumed with our needs and wants, then it's hard to fit anyone else into that picture. And all we end up doing is showing a false view of Jesus. Well, Jesus cares about me more than anybody else. That's not true. Jesus cares about everybody. And if you're going to be like Jesus, you're going to pour yourself out for everybody. Well, why should everybody else come first? I know we're in the world right now where everything is about you. The problem with that, that is not biblical living. Jesus did not model his life like, I got to take care of me first, guys, and then I'll take care of you, and then we'll take care of everybody else. He just didn't live that way. I can't teach it because I don't see it in the Bible. When we, anger, when we argue and debate, we bear the delicate walk of offense. And in this day and age, I don't know if you've noticed, but to be uh, offended is like unavoidable. But surely I can choose the very type of conversation that would lead to an offense, such as the gospel, for sure, right? I can think of no other conversation than that of the gospel to which it would be acceptable to be offended. Only in the Bible. Really, I mean, really, if you look, the Bible doesn't want you to be an offensive person. It doesn't, it's not asking you to offend somebody, but what it does state is this, that the gospel is an offense. It is a stumbling block is what the Bible says. So it's going to anger people. It's going to make people upset because, listen, the talk that while we are sinners, yes, that means I'm saying that human beings are not perfect. As a matter of fact, I'm also saying they are selfish and deceitfully wicked. This is the gospel. That all human beings deserve death for their trespasses and sins against a holy and righteous God. However, God, in an act of mercy, sent His Son, Jesus, to atone for our sins on the cross. Now, those that call upon the name of Jesus are saved. That's the most offensive thing I should ever come out of my mouth. I called you wicked. I called you deceitful. I called you sinful. But then I gave you hope that it doesn't matter. God's grace came to cover it. God's glory came to ride over that. God, he, he's, he's, he's decided to give you mercy. He's decided to give you grace. And in the same message, I give you hope. <coughs> this is a conversation worthy of debate and civilized talk. This is the only argument that will reveal self or the flesh for the offense of it is that we're not as good or we're not good or loving as we think. And that's the truth, man. This is the only conversation that should be the argument we ever have. And you know why it becomes an argument? Because we're fighting for a soul. Because I'm arguing with you. I see you on the train tracks about to die and everything's about to be taken from you. And I'm arguing with you, trying to yell at you, say everything I can to pull you off. That's an acceptable argument. I am trying to save your life. These are things worthy of conversation. And yet the yeast of the Pharisees is more than what you can hear and see. It's about being spiritually discerning. <clears throat> Too often are we walking around and our neighbors and friends are acting as if we've never seen God or do something amazing, yet our friends look to us to see the miracle of Jesus. 
They're like, how are you like, like, oh, things are so bad. It's just, it's so awful right now. Listen, I'm not saying not be honest. What I am saying is this. God's got me. I know things are tough right now, but God has me. And you know, sometimes you just need to say that so you can hear it. You need to remind yourself of what God can do. You know what? God did feed the 4,000. God did feed the 5,000. God can take what little I have and make it meet my, my, my means. Yeah, I'm struggling right now. This is happening in my life. There's a lot of things happening in my life. But you know what? God is good. God is faithful. You don't get the luxury of just seeming uh, he gives and takes away. Blessed be his name. Because I promise you, when the whole takeaway happens, you'll be like, I don't know. Blessed be his name. No. Blessed be his name. God reigns on the unjust and just alike. I can go through foreclosure. I can lose a loved one. I can, I can go through anything anybody else can. You know the difference is? I know God. Therefore, I am hopeful. You know what else? Because I know God, because I know the scriptures, you know what I know? That God does not think about life like we think about life. We're like, oh, we don't want to die. But God's like, why not? You get to be with me. Why is that so bad? Why is it so bad that anybody come be with me? I'm the God who made you so that you would one day come be with me. Is it bad if I want you a little earlier than some? Because I love you so much, I just want to enjoy it. How about I just get to enjoy you for a while or forever? This is God who doesn't look at death like we look at it. Death, oh, that's the end. No, it's not. Quit living like it. It's not the end. If anybody should be reckless or careless, it should be Christians because we don't believe death is the end. So what am I scared of? It's not the end. Just a new beginning waiting around the corner. I love how the C.S. You know, Lewis books, it's just a green country on the other side where I'll be barefooted and I run through the grass that doesn't have stickers. Right? No briars. No mesquite tree. There's no mesquite trees in heaven. Infinite coffee. It's awesome. Right? Do you know what the miracle is of Jesus uh, in the disciple? It's faith. That's the miracle you have. You have faith. I mean, it's powerful. Powerful. Because we have faith, and have witnessed the greatness of God through miracles and actions within our own lives, we have hope in something we cannot see. And this causes us to walk in a way that's different than anyone else. So we walk with a smile when things are horrible. And people look at us like, what's wrong with you? Can't you see it's like, like you know, like, it's bad right now. This whole country's bad. Yeah, but I got Jesus. Like, I don't know if you've read the book, We Win at the End. Like, I don't know how it works out right now. Maybe this is the bad, dark time. But I'm going to tell you, like, it's going to get worse. And while that's not, I know that's not great for you, I'm, I'm saved. For me, I can walk through this gloom and doom and all this nasty stuff and have hope. Because I have faith in one who is greater. I have faith in one who can take very small things and make amazing things happen. And just as easy as he can kill a tree that doesn't produce fruit, he can grow one straight from the ground. What did he say? He said, faith can remove mountains. Listen, I don't know what you suffer from. I don't know what you're trying to conquer in your life. What I'm telling you is God has equipped you with faith to do it, though.
You have the faith to remove the mountain in your life. Now, whether you'll act on that, that's another story. Maybe even a sermon reserved for another time. But this causes us to walk differently. When tragic moments like this happen in our country, we walk to a different tune. We're not surprised by human wickedness. I can't believe this guy did it. Really? Like, I don't know if you've been watching, but it's been horrible. You know, when I turned 19, I went to Somalia. Most of you know this story. I went to Somalia. Can I tell you, I came from Kaufman, Texas in Podunkville, USA. I graduated with 75 people. The most horrible thing I ever saw was maybe a wreck. Lost some friends. Didn't have to really see any blood or guts or anything like that. But when I turned 19 and I was having to bury bodies, that's because I was a new guy. Or when I was having to, to look at some of the people that were dead and children who were dying of starvation at 19 years old and I had never been outside our country before, it was an eye-opener. I have no doubt in my mind that we are wicked individuals given the right circumstances. So when the Bible tells me that there's not one ounce of goodness in it, I'm like, amen. I know what we're capable of. I, I mean, come on, look at the sex traffic industry. I know what we're capable of. I've been listening to this book all about the Old West, and all I can hear about is how, how many people were murdered, how many people were thieves, and how many people were prostitutes. I know what kind of people we are. I don't have to, like, debate on that. It's easy for me to see those things. I'm not surprised. However, when we are consoling and loving, <coughs> we should be consoling and loving because as a Christian, we know from more than anybody else, we know Jesus. And we know because we're not surprised by the wickedness of others or ourselves about how great the mercy and grace of God is, right? And how the, how, listen, the greatest thing is that's the, the glory within us, right? That we know mercy and grace can overcome the vilest monster. It's the truth. Listen, it's the Christian that will recognize in this moment, in our culture, what is happening. Because they've studied their Bible. They know, right? They know that we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood. Why do you know that scripture? Some of you don't know it, but you should. You should look it up with Paul, right? We, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against a host of wickedness in heavenly places once more. Like I said, I am talking about Jesus this entire time. And what? remember, remember the movie from last week in The Passion while Jesus is being beaten. Can I tell you that nowhere in there does it state, like we watch in that movie, they took some liberty there, right? They took a little bit of liberty there because nowhere in those passages does it state the devil was there. And yet we see his handiwork, don't we? Oh, I don't have to say the devil's in the details, right? We know his handiwork when we see it. We know it. We recognize it. And because we do, we know how to combat it. You combat hate with love. If you combat hate with hate, you'll only breed more hate. Martin Luther King is the one who said it best. Hate can only be stopped with love. At some point, you have to let go of the wrongs, forgive, and give grace. And this is what it is to be a Christian. Even for this 19-year-old kid who is disturbed, 
can I ask you a really even bolder question? Away from my notes, I debated whether I was going to put this in there or not. When did we quit believing in demonic possession? It's funny how everybody's just mentally disturbed. You know what they said that about? I can name a few people in the Bible they said that about. What about the guy who called himself Legion? Do you remember what he was there doing? He ran out to him naked, first of all. By the way, if you run up to me naked, I'm going to think you're crazy. <laughs> just saying. It also said that he was hurting others and that he was hurting himself. It said that they tried to chain him, but he ripped up the chains and he hurt everybody there that tried to do it. He was violent. Violent. And mentally disturbed is what we would call it today. Jesus called it demonically possessed. Did we just forget the story where we read about the woman who comes here and says, my daughter is demonically possessed. And what all of a sudden, a 19-year-old kid is just mentally disturbed. That's our way of medicating that to the side. And, and you know what? Allowing us to be angry at a 19-year-old kid who did something so vile and awful. But who should we be really seeing in the background? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's what our Bible teaches us. But against darkness. Against rulers in high places. Against things that only the Christian should be able to see because to anybody else it's just mentally disturbed but we're Christians our eyes should be open to the things of spiritual discerning the yeast of the Pharisee is more than practicing religion more than a habit it's the pursuit of Christ in practice it's the pursuit of Christ in practice I'm going to close with this think about this the Pharisees spent all their time studying the Word of God. Let me say that again. The Pharisees spent all their time studying the Word of God. And yet when they met the author, they spent more time challenging him than anything else. Oh man, it's crazy. I mean, think about it. You're reading the book and you meet the author and here you're like, man, I've, I've read this book so many times, I feel like I should just know the person that's writing this. I mean, I, I know everything about this book. And then you meet the guy who writes it, and you're like, I don't know who you are. I don't even like you. And you actually, you're, you're actually mean or ugly to the person that you spent your life studying about. They called him a liar. They ultimately plotted in murdering him. They spent all that time reading about God, and they never knew him. They spent all their time going to church, and they never grew closer to God. This is why I can't reconcile church attendance with sanctification or even salvation. I think one of the most frustrating things I have is I do believe it's wise to go to church. But for some reason, we've made it work because we're so stuck sometimes in legalism and work-based Christianity that most people think if I come to church, then I am saved, and that is just not true. Look at the Pharisees. They spent their whole life studying about Jesus and missed the day that he was born. And the funny thing is Persian astronomers come over and they figured it out just using astronomy. And they said, where did you find this information? Well, we read about it. said he would be born in Jerusalem. Ah, or I mean in uh, uh, yeah, Bethlehem, right? Sorry. They, they knew it. They read it. Like we read it. That's what it said. 
It was obvious. It was in Micah. Like, pretty, pretty simple. Can you imagine the Pharisees? How did we miss that, man? Study the thing my whole life. Never noticed it. How many of you have said that, by the way, in the scriptures, right? Studied it my whole life. Never saw that before. Right? And then even when he's, old, he's older, in his 30s now, he's looking at you in the face, and you don't even recognize him. We can do all the right things and not be any closer to God. We can read our Bible and be affluent in the scriptures and have still have no heart for the lost or the poor or the broken. There are literally people in our churches that will hand over their money, way but hand over their time any day long. And I'm going to tell you right now, here's the thing about it. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong in handing your money when you don't have the time. But I promise you at some point, what you hold dear is what God wants. Like that or not, it's not that God doesn't want to give you things or allow you to have things or bless you with things. But make no mistake, if something becomes an idol before him, that's what he wants. It's sitting on his throne and he wants it removed. And for some people, it's their time. For some people, it is their finances. They have a hard time tithing. I'm not giving God 10%. He has cattle on thousand hills. Why does he need mine? God goes, I'm asking you to give. I'm not telling you to give that. Listen, that doesn't mean you're saved or not saved. You decide not to tithe. But I'm going to tell you right now, it shows that money might have a hold on your life. Well, I'll give my 10% all day long as long as I don't have to actually go do something. Then you know what God will say? You can keep your money. How about giving me 10% of your time? I'm just, that's biblical. That's biblical. God's trying to remove the idols of your life. He wants to be all in your life. You can do all the right things. I promise you, most of the pastors today are not going to grieve you if you just want to pay their 10%. That's a sad part, too. That's why we don't have authenticity, like I said at the beginning. Authentic Christian walk. We don't have pastors holding people accountable to the things that they struggle with. If at times, through discipleship, Things you struggle with, Jesus decides to point out, like he pointed out to them, how are you lacking in faith? Well, we've only got one loaf of bread. How are we going to feed everybody? I just fed 5,000. I just fed four. Listen, there has to be some account. Jesus called them out. Can't you see? Can't you hear? Like, I like that. I, I like his tone, to be honest with you, in that. Because those times where you just get frustrated. You ever been frustrated with your kids and you talk like that? What's wrong with you? You ever say that to your kids? What's wrong with you? How can you not, like it's obvious. How can you not see that, right? That's Jesus in this moment to his disciples. We've only got one loaf of bread. What's wrong with you? You were with me. Didn't you just see what we did? And they're like, yeah. What's wrong with you? And this is, this is Jesus, I think, sometimes with us. And here's, here's the truth in discipleship. Anybody that you don't have that can't tell you that once in a while, man, do, they, do you really have somebody that loves you? Your mom tells you because she loves you. Your dad tells you something like that because they love you. Why can't you see the obvious? You're struggling here. You know why you can't see it? Because you're stuck on you still. What's best for you? How comfortable are you? It's all about you at that moment still. When it quits being about you, that's when you're going to start seeing things of Jesus, things of God. You can you spend all this time in church, man. We can sing our worship and never care about a world that God created where human trafficking exists. It's crazy. We can do all these things in church, right? We can talk about God and sing about God and place crosses on our houses and our bodies and never truly know Him in actual relationship. This is the yeast of the Pharisee. 
That we can be the stature of the community. We can have reputation, right? Who do you come for for advice? Well, I'm going to go to the Pharisee because he knows more about the Bible than anybody. Yeah, but he doesn't know God. He doesn't know God. He can tell you what biblical truth looks like, but he doesn't know it in practice because he doesn't know God. And listen, the problem with that is that one day we'll face him. <laughs> and I usually hate like going to this point where it's like a scary point, but it's just the truth. One day we're going to face him, and the only way we will know him is that he'll make it so. Because we'll be like the Pharisees if we're not careful. Like he's standing for us, like, I'm not sure where I'm at. Are you the guy that's going to get me to God? Man, I am God. I am God. And you know what? I don't know you either. I know that's ugly talk, but it's just the truth, guys. How is it you could, and that's, I wonder if Jesus don't even give us the time to like, to even say anything to us. Just even frustration like he did his disciples. How is it that you attended church for 40 years? How is it that you, were, you, you said all the right things? How is it that people looked at you for help and to be biblical truth to them? And you were able to share all them and still not know who I am when I stand before you. Because that's what he said to the Pharisees. The Pharisees is, the yeast of the Pharisee is about living a life that, that is so in the middle of church and not being the church at all. It's the, the, and, the, and the, the, the big deal about all this is that our culture is looking for Jesus. This is a cry out. There, the, distress, the distress call has been sent, right? The bat signal is in the air, man. They're looking for help. Who will model Jesus right now? Who will model the Christ? Who will live the very word by which they live and breathe on? Right? Who can help? Who, who can give me hope? Who can teach me some truth? Who can tell me, like, this is a hard thing. How is, how is, should we do gun control? Should we do all these things? Listen, here's what I do know, that the heart is wicked. And that's not a conversation left out there where it's not personal on social media or an email or anything. That's a conversation I have face-to-face -face with you. Worry less about the world, guys, and worry more about the platform God's given you already. It's just the truth. I'll do more good here in Marble Falls than I'll do on Facebook. You know why? Because I invest into people. You invest into people. You have friends, and you speak hope and life into your friends. Why? Because you're a Christian. And that's more than just a word because you attend church or a part of a church or a member of a church. It's more than that. It's your life. It's how you live. You have a hope that others don't. You have a joy that others can't, hadn't found yet. You have laughter, and you have freedom. And yet people, what they're going to see is that you give up your freedom, that they see that joy, they see all these things to help others, to serve others, and do things for others. And then they're going to long for something. And then they're going to come to you because, like, I don't know why, but I just want to do some things. I, want, I see how happy you are. I see what your life is like. And I listen, and that, that's when you get honest, right? And you go, it's not me. This is where I usually tell people, well, you know, I still struggle with depression. There's not a day goes by where I couldn't say, man, a drink would help. Because this world is rough to look at. It's hard and it's harsh. And everything seems sour. But I know Jesus. And man, that old loaf of bread in his hands. My gosh, anything's possible. Look at his ministry. Every time he touched something, it changed. 
my daughter uh, is demonically possessed. Not anymore. I don't have enough. Now you do. Look at who I look at who I am, Jesus. You can't love this. By grace, I can. This is Jesus. Jesus says, you take the yeast of me and you plant it into a city and I'll overtake the city. Yeast of the Pharisee, the yeast of Jesus. That's the choice between us this morning. So we're going to get ready to worship. And the only thing you have to think about in the middle of worship is the words you're going to say. Because you know the other things that said about, we said, talked about this not too long ago. What are the other words of the Pharisee? They speak truth with their mouth, right? But their hearts are far from me. So when we get ready to worship, we move into the worship side of things. And what's important now is where is your heart? I don't care what your lips are saying or not saying. What's important now is where is your heart? And I'm a, we're going to stop there and we're going to worship. Let's get ready.